Welcome to the Small Business Whole Health Podcast. We help you stay happy, healthy and whole so your small business can thrive and stay vital in this ever-changing world with holistic coaches and small business owners, Jill and Dan. Hello and welcome to the Small Business Whole Health Podcast. I'm Jill and I'm here with my podcasting partner in crime, Daniel. Hello, Jill and hello, listeners. Hello. And today we are talking about something that both Dan and I do every day. I would say every day we think about it, every day we do it. And it's called primal pattern training. It was a concept that was first come up by Paul Check, And it is a beautiful way to describe how the body works and what exercises you should be doing and how your body has developed from being a baby, really, isn't it, Dan? That was a very good summary because... No, because we finished now. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Where can we find you, Jill? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, a very good way to put it because essentially it's just the way the human body developed into what we are now. So even going back to kind of ancestral times when we were modern humans and we lived in the wild, this is how the body had to function. It doesn't function in isolation. It functions as a whole unit and it's just Paul just figured out how to break these seven movements down and if we can perform these seven movements correctly the body will function perfectly so we're going to talk about the seven movements and Mm -hmm. we're going to expand on them all a little bit how to do it right and how often people do it wrong so we can correct that Mm, yes so as instructors and you'll be the same we always try to include the primal patterns in a workout or variations in the primal patterns and also we see them done incorrectly quite a lot so we'll talk about regressing and progressing the primal patterns as well when i first learned this concept i was like yes this all makes sense now it was one of those other things that i just thought that you i think we were saying off air when you first go to a gym you think right i've got to do my biceps and i've got to do my glutes and i've got to do my quads when actually you don't, do you? It's, your body should be functioning as a whole thing. Yeah, that's the isolationist mentality. And it's also the way the industry is just being kind of marketed to. Instead of just doing a chin-up or a press-up, if the market can then say, well, actually, you need to work your biceps, your triceps, your shoulders, your forearms, then they can sell you four machines as opposed to just doing a press-up on the floor. So it makes them more money. Mm. so you've also got to be aware that people are constantly trying to sell you things as well but essentially we are just animals and if we just move the body's going to feel good and look good experts reduce things down but it's often to try and make money out of you there is a clinical approach where if you've say got an injury and you need to build strength in the biceps and just doing a biceps curl is applicable or if you're Mm -hmm. a bodybuilder and you just want to work the biceps to build symmetry then fair enough. But for the general population, those who just want to look good and feel good, you can get more bang for your buck by doing the primal pattern movements. Yeah. I saw an advert the other day on uh, Facebook or somewhere, and it was like, this muscle is the root of all back pain. And it was like, if you just released off this muscle, you would get so much pain relief. And there was like loads of comments going, would, would this be for me? I've had I've had an operation, I've got a new hip and all this kind of stuff. You know what it was? It was like the psoas muscle, okay? So they were like trying to make out that the psoas muscle was a 
you know, this kind of sacred cow thing that nobody knew about. And I was just thinking if, if everybody did that and then stretched all day, that then they'd have a complete muscular imbalance, wouldn't be able to hold themselves up. So that's the problem with doing all these isolation things. It, it's the body doesn't work in isolation. It works in integration. There's obviously a case for doing specific strengthening or stretching, but mm. just looking at a video on the internet, it's more than that because you have to be assessed because everyone's different. Every single person on planet earth yeah. has a different variation of tight muscles and relaxed muscles. So you need to be assessed and you need to know yourself as well, whether that exercise is going to be right for you. Like you say, if everyone just stretched the psoas, maybe seven out of 10 people probably do need to stretch the psoas. But if the other people, if their psoas is already too relaxed and then they go and add in stretching every day, then they're just going to create tension somewhere else and then weakness in that area. Exactly. So like me, that. I'm one person who never needs to stretch out my hips because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're hypermobile. So if I did that, like that would just wreck my whole system. So, yeah. So shall we dive in? There's quite a lot of, um, with the primal patterns, we'll talk a little bit about how they come, come about as well. There's quite a lot of the infant development and stuff that's linked to the primal pattern. So we'll just briefly skim over that. But I think it's important to, to say what, where, the, where the movements originate from as a child. We learn these, all these movements from literally being born to becoming adults, don't we? And we go, yeah. through, a, we go through a stage by stage. And if we miss any stages, then it can show up later in life as a, a movement deficiency or an imbalance. Mm -hmm. But it's quite complex infant development, isn't it? So we'll just try and keep it brief and just kind of give yeah. you the, con the concept as opposed to the clinical application. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the first primal pattern. So if we think about, they're called primal patterns because these are the patterns that, if we think about cavemen, <laughs> I'm sure that's historically correct, Cave women as well. Um, term so primal people that this would be the movements that they would do all the time if you were hunting gathering fishing all of the stuff that you would need to do to survive and so the first one is which we develop in utero before we're even born we develop this pattern and it's the twist pattern so you can think of it a bit like a fish so when you're in utero you're all the thing that is moving is your spine as your spine grows i'm doing it now anna dan <laughs> you're doing your best salmon impression <laughs> you can't see this listeners but i'm moving my spine like a fish so that is how we first start and that's twist pattern and twist pattern's my favorite pattern of them all yeah, and we start on this one, but it's probably the most complex as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it takes a little while to, for a human to develop, doesn't it? So uh, the twist pattern develops a lot of um, neurological connections in the central nervous system. It requires quite a few muscles to do. Again, it's quite a core exercise, isn't it? So if you think of most twist patterns, they come from, um, we call it navel radiation stuff. There's quite a lot of stuff coming from the, the core when you do a twist pattern. Yeah, and it's really important for like explosive movements as well, getting that trunk rotation. So imagine if, if you're a boxer and you're going to throw a punch, the power isn't in the arm or the hand. It comes from rotating the full body and getting the mm. body weight behind the punch. So if you can't twist properly, you're going to lack power and probably lack timing as well. Yeah. So you, you mentioned being out in the wild 10,000 years ago. Again, if it was kind of tribal warfare and you had to throw spears or throw a punch, or you want to kill an animal and you want to throw a rock, your body has to hold the object, it has to rotate back, twist, 
then has to twist forward really fast. The abdominals, everything, again, everything starts there. But you have to twist the trunk to propel the object, really. Otherwise, mm. you wouldn't be effective. You wouldn't be able to defend yourself and you wouldn't be able to kill animals for food. So mm. again, so this is an essential movement. But in modern day life, we rarely do we go to tribal warfare or do we <laughs> chuck spears at animals? <laughs> I don't know. I live, I live out here in the sticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw but, rocks at the moon. Yeah, but we still do these movements, but they're just a lot simpler. Yeah. So even things like if you sit in the car and you twist round to put the seatbelt on, if you can't twist properly, your body's going to have to twist somewhere else. So it might go to the hips and you might end up with an injury there. Yeah. So like twist is the originating pattern. That's the, that's the first one. So if you think about push, pull, like what Dan was saying, you have to be able to twist properly, lunge, walk, breath, respiration is a, is a kind of a twist pattern. So without twist pattern, you can't really do anything of the others. And sometimes when, um, like, like Dan was saying, it's quite a common one for injuries to occur. So you have to regress people right back. If you think of um, cashier in a supermarket, just pulling the things through, they're twisting all the time. And you tend to get a lot of imbalances with the twist pattern because one side will get stronger than the other. So, and then that creates a whole imbalance on the on one side of your spine so it's quite a common one for injuries to occur on this one yeah there's a, a condition called scoliosis where you have a lateral deviation of the spine and you can be born with that it's impossible to to repair fully but you can have an occupational scoliosis where you've caused a lateral deviation of the spine just by twisting too much to one side repetitively mm. so the rehabilitation is to just go the other way, just twist the other way and essentially unwind yourself back yeah. to square one. It's obviously a little bit more complex than that because the spine is very complex, but that's you can do it to yourself. You can deviate the spine. So what are some common twist exercises then, Dan? I like the twist exercises. You know, I, that machine that I like to get on. The most <laughs> common one, this is easy one to remember. So it gets called a wood chop. So it's easy to remember because imagine you had an axe and you were going to chop a big log and it was down next to your feet you get the axe kind of over one shoulder and you're going to chop it down to the opposite foot any limbs if they cross the center line of the body it activates both hemispheres of the brain as well so this one's a really good one to build energy and focus but you would do it on the cable machine which you were talking about so you just grab the cable you would have it in both hands take a wide stance and you'd go from one shoulder down towards the opposite knee or opposite foot or you could do the reverse wood chop where you would go from the foot up to the opposite shoulder. So you're just crossing the body. And but to be honest, I think the best tool to develop the twist pattern is the Swiss ball or the exercise ball. Mm. Because it's inherently unstable, your body is doing a lot of twisting and trying to maintain stability. So, and because it's unstable, you can then twist a lot if you want to. So the one I often have you doing is the, it's called the upper body Russian twist. So essentially you would make, I don't know what you call them, Pilates, is it a bridge? Bridge, yeah. Make a bridge on the ball. And then because your feet are then stuck to the floor, obviously to stabilize yourself, but then you can use the ball to rotate, particularly your upper back, left and right. And it builds in, it builds in that rotation, that twist pattern in the upper spine. You can do it the other way around. You can lie your back on the floor and put your feet on the ball and just rotate the lower body. So again, if you do these both, the spine will then integrate and you'll build a strong twist pattern. 
I like twist pattern. I think it's my favorite one out of them all. So yeah, anything where you're working your obliques or because the oblique muscles are your twist muscles, aren't they? I like to twist a lot at the gym, don't I, Dan? It's pretty much 100% twisting when you come to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one, push. Push pattern is the next one to develop. And we develop this one when we are born. Um, and we learn to say no before we say yes. So if you think of a baby pushing the bottle or the breast away to say no. It's an empowering move, the push pattern. It builds confidence if you are in a situation or you say you're a woman or a man who's got like, I don't know, some domineering partner or something that you want to, a situation you want to get out of, training into the push pattern can psychologically do a lot of um, good for you to give you some more confidence and give you a bit of an energy boost. So push exercises, Dan, what would they be and why is push good? The push pattern is a lot simpler compared to twist or rotation, which we previously talked about. Mm. So the most traditional one, th these ones are easy to remember because they normally have the word push or press in. So push and a mm. press are essentially the same thing. So if you do push-ups or press-ups, mm -hmm. really simple. You can do any type of bench press or dumbbell press. Mm -hmm. A little bit easier in terms of technique. You can do a cable press, so you can stand and do a sing. You can do a single arm or double arm. These are pretty simple ones. That obviously, everyday life you do a lot of push movements. If you were to maybe in sports to hold an opponent off, you would do a, a push. Things mm -hmm. like boxing in the clinch, you need to push away. So this happens all the time. So push is quite a simple one, I think. But again, it's just as important as the other ones. Throwing a ball throwing a punch yeah so if you if you were going to throw a rock or throw a ball as far as you can first you would go into a deep lunge so you would lunge back then you would rotate to get the the trunk rotating create that rotation and then you would finish to push the arm so it's three movements mm. into one movement really yeah so push like we said is no so push away so the next one which develops when we're about three to five months old is the yes pattern, the pull pattern. So pull towards you. So um, if you think of a baby, three, three to five months old baby, they'll start to pull things. They'll start to put things in their mouth, hold on to stuff. Um, so that's, the, that's them learning the pull pattern. So if we think about training into pull pattern, some exercises for that, Dan? Again, these are relatively easy. So if you just think you're going to do the opposite to push, <laughs> I yeah. think it's really easy. <laughs> this is when you come to the gym, this is your favorite exercise. So we do the single arm cable pull. Oh, I love a single arm cable pull. Yeah. So it's <laughs> imagine an archer drawing a bow back. It's very similar to that, isn't it? Yeah. But you're trying to use your legs and your, your trunk a little bit more. This it can be quite therapeutic, this one. And mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they go to the gym environment in particular, they tend to do a lot of push movements because they call them mirror muscles. So you can see your chest, you can see the front of your shoulders, you can see your quads. These are all mm. push muscles. So you can see them in the mirror. And the, the pull muscles, which are in the back, can often, often get neglected. But it's really important to do that. So any pull movements, um, you can do bent over rows, deadlifts to some degree. These are all pull movements, pull ups, chin ups, um, lateral pull downs. Again, they normally have the word pull or row in the movement. And going back to ancient times as well, when we, when we were developing, we would have to, if we were building shelter, we'd have to pull branches off trees and pull trees over. And then when we learned how to build boats, we would then pull the oar through the water 
and that was a pull mm. and a twist. So again, it's all been developed over time. Pull a heavy bison that you just slain towards you, push it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these are all the movements that, like you say, that happened years ago. We are not designed to sit at a desk or sit in a car for long periods of time. Though. We're designed to be moving, pushing, pulling, twisting. And then the next one that develops at around five to eight months is the bend pattern. And this one symbolizes adaptation because now babies are starting to be able to move more and they've learned how to say yes and oh. Now they're going to start to be more aware of their surroundings and start to, so the bend pattern is, is the next one. I like the bend pattern too. Yeah, you're really good at the bend pattern. I don't know whether it's just you've, you've trained well in the, in the past. You have good, good core function as well and good flexibility. But most people in the gym, aside from twist, which most people just avoid doing in the gym, but the bend pattern is probably the one hardest to teach and most commonly done incorrectly. Oh, God, it's so hard to teach bend patterns. Yeah, yeah. People just tend to squat or they just tend to go into forward flexion. Mm. So the bend pattern is, to simplify it, it's essentially you're just picking something up off the floor with, without doing a full squat. So imagine you just drop a pen on the floor, you would just bend over to pick it up. You wouldn't squat all the way down and bend the knees as much as you yeah. could. <laughs> In a gym, the, the deadlift is the most common bend. Um, you can do that with kettlebells, barbells, dumbbells. There's a whole range of exercises, but the, the bend is essentially a small bend in the knee, but a big bend at the waist without going into too much trunk flexion. But in everyday life, we bend all the time. Like I say, if you just pick something up off the floor, golfers, when they, before they tee off, before they address the ball, they have a slight bend in the hips. So they lean forward very slightly without squatting. Nurses in hospitals, they lean over the bed to pick up patients. It's a bend, it's not a squat. So it happens all the time. So it's mm. really, again, just as important as all the other ones. But because we so much inflection, we sit down all the time and then we work the flexion muscles in the gym, like abdominals all the time. It's, it's hard to straighten the spine out and bend at the hips. Some people just literally cannot grasp <laughs> the idea of bending at the hips, can they? No, it's really hard to teach. This is where we get our sticks out, isn't it, Dan? And put sticks on people's backs from the sacrum to their shoulders. You should still have a nice curve in your back and the back of your head. I think as well, because we spend so long bending forward that when just even getting your head in the right place to, to bend forward from the hips is really difficult. And I find people cannot get that hinge out. So like their sit bones go towards the wall. Do you know what I mean? That, that proper full on bend. <laughs> And when you get it, it's really nice. It feels right, doesn't it? It feels like a movement that you should be doing. Yeah, that's why using a stick as a feedback tool is really important because they can feel mm. a stick on the head. They can feel it in the shoulder blades. They can feel it on the sacrum. And then they can then start to visualize the nice natural curves in the spine. Yeah. And then when they do just have a little bend in the knee and they then tilt at the hips, it's getting all those muscles to fire correctly but also it's getting them to fire correctly in unison, which is how they're meant to mm. do as well. But the trouble is it takes a long time to learn this with this stick as well, because those muscles get so fatigued so quickly because they're not used to working. that It, it tends to take a long time and you have to keep people interested, but it's really worth doing. Yeah. And those bend muscles as well are the ones that if you can keep them nice and strong, they stop you from aging in a way because you don't get that hunched forward thing. It's that nice 
straight spine, well not straight, but curved spine. And that, they're the ones that hold you up as well, aren't they? A bit like the pull. So if you can do the pull and the bend muscles, then I think those are the anti-aging ones. Yeah, and like you said about posture as well, especially when you age, you do see a lot of people, they, they come forward and they kind of, mm. they're going back into the fetal position, aren't they, to some degree? Yeah. But if you can keep your posture, particularly when you're young as well, um, it's going to improve all your other movement because optimal movement comes from optimal posture. The body is just designed that way. So if your mm. posture is terrible, any complex movement you try to do in sports is going to be inefficient compared to if your posture was as good as it can be. Yeah. So next on the, um, when we start to grow, we start this from seven to 11 months old is the squat pattern. We see this in babies when they're trying to start to walk they get themselves up and then they're pulling up and then they're squatting back down. If you look at a baby, they've got a perfect squat position, their back nice and straight and their head in the correct position. Of course, they've not had life pulling them out of alignment, <laughs> but squat is the next one. I think you can tell a lot by the way a person squats. Yeah, a lot of people overcomplicate this one. They think, mm. oh, I can't do squats. But then I think once you reframe the word squat and the idea of what it is, I find people learn it pretty quick compared to the bend yeah people are a little bit of afraid of it they just because i think they have this mental image in the head of some bodybuilder doing 200 kilogram squats and they think well i cannot do that but essentially you, you do it all the time every day maybe hundreds of times a day anytime yeah. you sit down on a chair on the toilet if you get in your car you're just doing a squat and that that is literally all it is but then you take them into a gym and they say do a squat and the whole brain just <laughs> exactly. has, a, has a short circuit and they can't do a squat, but they can. If you just yeah. try and all I get to do is I just put a, a bench between the legs, like a gym bench, and just tell them to sit down. And all of a sudden they've learned how to squat. It's yeah. just reframing. I'll put a Swiss ball behind them. So sit on the Swiss ball. That's usually a good squat <laughs> technique. Yeah. But again, the stick has to come out sometimes on the squat because it's that forward flexion that happens in the upper back. The people try to squat with the head forwards or and it just knocks everything out of alignment, doesn't it? And I always think um, ankles, ankle flexion on the squat is really important. If you haven't got flexible ankles, you're not going to be able to squat properly. Flexibility is a big issue. People who have tight hips. So if the, we've already mentioned the psoas the, or the hip flexors, if they're chronically tight and then you go down into the squat, those muscles are so tight, they, they then pull the upper body forward. Mm. When you do a squat, you want to keep your, your back is a lot straighter than when you do a bend. Mm. So if you can stretch out a little bit first in the areas that are tight, like the abdominals and the hip flexors, then you're going to have a better squat posture. Like you mentioned at the start there, when you see babies do like a perfect squat, it's really refreshing to see. And you think, well, that's how everyone should be able to do it. And people, mm. have you noticed in Eastern cultures, they have the rest, it's called the resting position. Resting position so they can yeah. just sit in a squat for like hours. But us in the Western culture, we just can't do it. We just can't do that. But that's the human's natural resting position is in that deep squat. And the human's natural pooing position. Yeah, it is. It is. And people who are struggling with digestive issues, constipation, if you can learn how to squat better, yeah. then it's going to improve your digestion as well. Once you get the knees up above the bowels, it changes the position of the colon and you'll be able to 
to essentially go to the toilet better. So That's you can get a, a squat step for your toilet yeah. as well. And it really does help. And there's some exercise, like specific exercises that you can do to help. But essentially it's based around a squat, getting the knees up above the digestive system. Yeah. Dan has a really good squat pattern. It's quite annoying. But one thing <laughs> that, because <laughs> Dan does it, like makes it look that easy and then I do it and I don't look, it doesn't look as easy for me. But girls have different squat patterns to boys. Have you noticed that, Dan? Because we've got a wider hip angle. So, um, like, I could probably get my butt as low as what you could, but my upper body would be in a different place to yours. You can stay quite upright and squat quite low, whereas because uh, we've got a different hip angle, because, of course, we have to have babies, girls have to lean forward a little bit. Ah, right, okay. I didn't, I didn't actually know that, but it is noticeable. And I also notice with girls as well, that they tend to have a bit more of that knee collapse, the knees collapse inwards yes. a lot more. Mm-hmm. But that's quite easy to correct. Yeah. There's a few kind of simple techniques, but that's quite another common issue. Yeah. So men can squat quite upright because you've got a smaller hip angle, whereas we have to come forward more. That's my excuse anyway. It's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes sense biologically. Yeah. Okay. So next in line and squat. This one happens at a similar time to squat. You probably get squat first. Then we've got the lunge pattern. Oh my God, how bad was I at lunging, Dan? <laughs> yeah, you were, you were upfront about it though, because before you <laughs> even started doing any, you, you called yourself out on it, didn't you? I did. I just hated the lunges. It hurt my knees, it hurt my hips. Oh God, I just hated it. But now I'm actually all right, Anna. I've got a mega lunge now. Yeah, you've improved massively, yeah. I've got this like huge lunge. It actually feels quite comfortable to lunge. Mm. But it has we, taken some time. Yeah, we mentioned that we've mentioned the sauce muscle quite a lot in this episode, but this one can be good as an exercise which strengthens lots of muscles, but it can also stretch at the same time. Because if you're doing a lunge, most of the time one leg is trailing behind and you can really open up that hip muscle. Mm. So while one's flexed, the other one is kind of getting stretched out. So this is probably my favorite exercise or movement pattern. So I love doing walk and lunges. It just feels really beneficial because I have quite tight hips as well. So you're getting that. It's obviously a strength exercise, but it's it's working all the muscles of the legs, but it's also stretching the hip flexors every other rep, if you know what I mean. Mm. I find in classes, like I, like since I started training them, and quite like doing lunges now, I, I tend to include some of the easier type, like reverse lunges is like the easiest of the lunge pattern and um in the classes and you know what it does strengthen uh, people hate it at first but absolutely so beneficial like all of these primal patterns they just feel like you should be doing them they just feel right and if you are missing out lunges in your workout then you are missing a trick in my opinion because it's good for your knees it's good for your hips good for your ankles yeah and you do it in everyday life so if you're just stepping over something in the house if you're stepping over the dog if you're going up steps that you lunge all the time, you just don't. You just don't call it a lunge. You just call it a big step, really. Mm. But it's when it comes to a gym again, people get a little bit scared of it. It's a little bit harder in a gym when you add weights because there's obviously a balance element as well because mm. you're on one foot a lot of the time as opposed to a squat or a bend where most of the time both feet are stationary. But when you do lunges, things like walking lunges, one foot is off the floor for quite a long period of time. So people who tell themselves they don't have good balance or they actually don't mm. have good balance, can then struggle with lunges. But I like the, the variety of lunges because, again, you want to work simple and then progress into um, progressively harder ex- versions of a lunge. 
but you can do forward lunges, reverse lunges, you can do walker lunges, then you can even do um, multi-directional or what we would call clock lunges. Clock lunges. So you just yeah. go around in so many different directions and getting that full aspect of multi-directional movement. Again, it's quite therapeutic and your body does this all day. So it's good to train in a functional capacity. Yeah. And absolutely. And that's what this is all about. So you start, we started off with twist, which is an in utero pattern. And then you gradually work through the push, pull, bend, squat, lunge. And it's all about being able to then, as you're an adult, you move through these stages as a child so that as you're, when you're an adult, you're able to fully function on all planes of movement, isn't it? And this is when you're starting to move into different planes of movement with the lunge pattern. It's not as hard as what you think. Again, you said this was the one you hated and you, you kind of didn't enjoy, you needed most improvement. But once you started doing them, you improved really quick. Yeah. Because the body has this blueprint of it kind of it knows it wants to lunge and then wants yeah. to allow it to do it correctly. It's probably a good time to bring up we were talking off air before we got started about how the body it takes longer to unlearn a bad pattern. Yeah. It takes it ten times longer to unlearn a faulty pattern. Yeah. Than it takes to install a correct pattern. So mm-hmm. try and learn correctly in the first place. Because if you do these things wrong and you copy off someone on YouTube or Instagram and you try and do the most complex version first, that's quite traumatic. And then if you learn the incorrect way to do it, then it's just going to take so much longer to unlearn and then go back to a baseline. Yeah, absolutely. So learn it correct. It's always better to go and see a trainer if you're not sure on any of these patterns and say you wanted to improve your squat pattern or your lunge pattern or bend. Go and see someone who knows what they're actually talking about first and get it installed into your system it's like a computer program if you install the program incorrectly doesn't matter how many times you run it it's still going to be incorrect so get it installed correctly first and then when you run it because then once your brain knows what the right way to do it is it'll always be it'll feel wrong if you're doing it wrong like i always say like let your body know what good posture is so that when your body is whenever you get the chance to you can go back to that position of good posture rather than being in a forward slumped kind of posture. Yeah, the body goes to the path of least resistance. So if you do have bad posture, it'll always be going towards that poor posture. Mm. So you really have to train yourself to get back to that good posture. But then again, then the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it, then it just becomes natural. Yeah. Yeah, and we should say like, like, People say, oh, I want like a good butt, like J-Lo's butt or something, and say, I want it, I'm going to do squats. But squats aren't actually a butt exercise unless you can get really low on the squat. Your glutes don't kick in until you're at that bottom point, do they, to push you back up? So and if you've got like a, a not a very good squat pattern, you're never going to hit the glutes. It's all going to be the quads. And lunges are what hit the glutes much better, I think, much more effective as a glute exercise is lunge. Yeah, so if you squats will work the glutes, but like you say, if you if you're so tight in other areas, those muscles are just already overly activated, so they'll yeah. just kick in and just work, uh, work themselves to death. So if you want the squat to be effective, then yeah, stretch out a little bit first and allow the glutes to actually work when they should be working. Um, mm. But the glutes are notoriously lazy; they only work when they're under kind of a lot of stress. Like yeah. sprinting or doing heavy squats and you can get into the right position or lunges or walking in like sand and things like that so mm. if you want a good butt then put them under the right amount of stress exactly okay last one last one of the primal patterns and that is the last thing that we learn to do as a movement for a child and that is about 12 months old we start to walk so gait is the final of the primal patterns so walking 
such a good exercise for everybody i would say we are human we are designed to walk that's why we have glutes in the first place to keep us upright to propel ourselves forward in a gait pattern so when you think about gait you've got the twist pattern there because you're twisting you can't walk without twisting we've got a lunge pattern there you know because you've on one leg you've got balance you've got it all going on so gait and running as well stride pattern all of those things your arms are swinging everything's going tell a lot by the way a person walks can't you yeah this one is pretty self-explanatory isn't it you've been talking about the infant development quite a lot this is the the monumental moment when this is when you get up and and you walk walk. yeah like a transitional (laughs) point it seems so easy but it's pretty miraculous because there's a lot going on yeah but you have to learn all the previous patterns first like we've already said but Mm. it can be broken down into walking jogging and sprinting so every nearly everyone on the planet walks obviously there's a few exceptions a smaller minority jog these are people who play sports and just like running and then an even smaller so very minimal people sprint again these are like athletes and people who do sprints for sport and we often lose the ability to sprint correctly because we become so chronically tight in the muscles that help us like we lose balance in the body so then when we sprint with it because it's so complex and so explosive the chance of injury goes up so if you listen to this and think oh i haven't sprinted for a while i'm just going to go out and do some sprints be careful because it's a real big bang exercise so if you haven't mm. sprinted for a while just a word of warning okay yeah cool so that's that is all the primal patterns that we've gone through so you start with twist push pull bend squat lunge and then we're working for that towards gait pattern now what's interesting is if you learn all of those patterns correctly we're not really thinking about muscles at this stage are we because they you don't really need to think about the muscles that you're working if you've got the right patterns going in as dan always likes to say that your body thinks in patterns not in terms of muscles and Joseph Pilates himself never ever mentioned any muscles in any of his books. He always talked about the pattern. And he also said that what you learn in a Pilates class on the mat is all for you to stand up and walk better. So everything that you do in a class is all about getting that, doing all of these things. This is what we do in a Pilates class to get you propelling forward into everyday life. We learned this concept in the Czech Institute. I remember hearing this and it was like a real mind shift kind of moment because mm. I'd been training in the gym for maybe five years. And again, I was in that whole isolation, just do the biceps, just do the calves, this, that, the other. And then hearing this concept of the body knows nothing of muscles, only of movement. It was just like a light bulb. And I thought, oh yeah, well, that would be silly for the body to just work in isolation all the time. It uses all the muscles every day, all mm. the time. So if you want to go to the gym, instead of training all these muscles individually, which would take forever, okay? There's only really bodybuilders who do that yeah, um, for symmetry and things like that. But if you just work through the patterns of movement, all the muscles will work anywhere. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to maintain your balance, your body's not thinking, right, fire the bicep, switch the core on, fire the left glute. It, it just does it, okay? It would be information overload if it had to think of all the muscles Um, individually it just moves so if you can go to the gym or go to an exercise class and just move all the muscles are going to work anywhere so Mm -hmm. that just put an idea and that kind of once i learned the concept then i just started doing exercises which worked all the movement patterns and all the muscles just got better anywhere 
yeah. breaking them down into individuals. So yeah, that was a real mind shift moment for me and I just found it fascinating. Yeah. And one of the things we haven't really mentioned here is the core. You just briefly mentioned it there. Um, but all of these patterns work the core. Like I, I always say as well, like you say, you know, I teach people where their core is. But once that you know it's there and how to activate it, it should just happen automatically. And th these these movements, although they're not traditional core exercises, all of them, if you're doing them correctly, will have some form of core activation anyway as a natural consequence of doing the movement correctly. Yeah, is it navel radiation? Navel radiation. Everything just starts there and then emanates out. And we spoke about this in the, the core podcast. So this, if this intrigued you, go back to the core podcast. That one was really good. And we talk about the famous phrase, which is you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. Mm. So if you have big extremity muscles, like big legs, <clears throat> big arms, then, and you've got a weak core, then it's just like putting a cannon on a tiny little canoe. When the cannon fires, the canoe is going to tip over, which is in that analogy, it's you're going to get injured. But if you do it the other way around and you have a really strong core, so instead of a canoe, it's a battleship. And then you put the cannon on there then when the cannon goes off, then you're just going to have a stable base and it might rock a little bit, but it's going to be able to maintain stability. And that's, you can have a strong core, but then if you've got big legs, it can handle the load. Mm -hmm. And we should talk a little bit as well about the primal standards. So what Dan and I would be doing is if we're assessing you, well, we're assessing you all the time, aren't we? As soon as anybody walks in my studio, I can usually tell what bits are not working if they've got a faulty pelvic floor. You'd be making people nervous now. No. <laughs> Thinking you're watching all the <laughs> I time. I do. I watch how they take the shoes off. I watch, I watch everything. Because you can tell a lot when a person's not trying to do something, can't you? You know, like if they're just moving naturally. I like to see people move naturally and then you can kind of tell, tell what's going on. So we have primal standards. So this would be if you were to squat, if you were a squatter. <laughs> Bad, doesn't it? <laughs> so the primal standard of a squat would be, you know, uh, keeping your back up straight, your head in line, getting your butt down to at least your knee level kind of thing. So we've got the standards that we would look at. So we'd say to you, if we were assessing you, right, just do a squat. And then we could look and say, right, that person, what bits need training? How do we need to adjust the form? Some people get it straight away and then can go to the primal standard, but some people need a little bit more work. So if you've got the primal standards, then we can regress them and progress them, can't we? Yeah, so although there's the seven movement patterns, in terms of exercises, there's hundreds of different variations of exercises mm -hmm. for each pattern. So yeah. a squat, you could do a squat with a Swiss ball behind your back. You could do with a barbell on your back. You could do a single leg squat. And the same for the lunge and the bend. So if you struggle in one area, you can always regress down and then build it back up. Mm -hmm. But like we said earlier, if you just try and learn the correct way first, then that shouldn't be an issue. But obviously yeah. injuries and everyday life come into play. So everyone's different. But yeah, everything can be regressed and then build back up. Yeah. So always go below the primal standard if you're struggling, just one level down. And then you can build it up to the standard. And once you've got the primal standard correct, then you can start adding in those progressions. So adding a weight would be a progression, putting some balance things into it. That would all be progressions of that. So that's a really good way of assessing how a person moves. But if you think about what we've spoken about, all those seven maneuvers there, that's what we should be training every time we do some training, or even just in everyday life, wouldn't it? You know, being able to reach up and, get things off the top shelf that's kind of a twist pattern with a 
pull pattern and stuff like that. You know, this is just to help you live your life better and function correctly in, in the world. Obviously, we've spoke about gym exercises quite a lot. We have to go to the gym because we live, most of us live quite sedentary lifestyles. But if you go back maybe 100 years or a bit more when everyone lived very physically active lifestyles, so even to just maintain daily life, go and collect firewood and build a fire and chop the wood and you'd go and work on a farm, you would use all these movement patterns anyway and you'd Mm. be really fit. The chances of being overweight were probably very, very slim because you moved all day anyway doing these patterns. You didn't have to go to the gym. You would fall into bed at night because you were so tired. Yeah. But we just obviously, lifestyle has changed. So when we have to exercise, we have to be a bit more conscious of what we're doing and add in these patterns. Yeah. So have you got anything else to add, Dan? Yeah, pretty similar to that last note. So when you do go to the gym, if you're thinking, right, I'm going to work some primal patterns, there's a probably a correct order to do them in. Mm. So do the ones which are the most complex first. So mm-hmm. these require a lot more kind of neurological energy so try and do those ones first while you're fresh mm-hmm. a lot of the time people they want to do some weight training which is good but they're also still addicted to the cardio machines which is not as good but they think right i'm going to do both so what they do is they go on the treadmill for 45 minutes first and then they're really tired and then they want to go and do some deadlifts so they mm. just do it the wrong way around because deadlifting requires a lot more nervous system energy and concentration than being on a treadmill so do it the other way around do the most complex things first while you're fresh and then do the easiest things later on which doesn't require as much energy mm-hmm. that's a little tip and it goes a long way because you're never going to increase your movement patterns if you're training them whilst your body's exhausted top tip there dan thank you cool do you want to add anything more no just i love all that infant development stuff it's dead interesting i found the most interesting thing was that when especially very educated clinicians who assess people's bodies and injuries they can then see which developmental stage was skipped and that Mm. relates to the injury so even things like if babies aren't breastfed they miss the strength in the jaw and things like that is is different if they get taught to to walk too quickly that means they're skipping the few stages beforehand if Mm -hmm. the parents every time they're on the floor they pick them up and put them on the feet Mm-hmm. you miss out the pull pattern they need to pull themselves up yeah. so really you should let the kids struggle as much as possible and it's not a race to see who can walk first because yeah. you don't let them skip the stages yeah absolutely and also when you do get someone who's injured or say had a, like a bad injury i'm talking like car accident or something like that then taking them back down through the, the infant development stages and just doing the like naval radiation exercise and stuff really important to like rebuild that programming because that's how your nervous system gets programmed so dead interesting yeah it has application for really experienced exercises as well so we learned through the czech institute i remember seeing videos of paul czech doing he was going to do a deadlift session or a pull session and for his warm-up he was doing inchworms which was a an infant development exercise and I think we mentioned in the previous podcast that when we did the course, we had to practice the exercises ourselves. So with that everyone watching you as well. Everyone watching, and a few of the class, <laughs> a few of the class members went first, and they were squirming around on the floor, looked like they didn't have a clue what they were doing. Everyone's <laughs> laughing, and then when it gets to my turn and your turn as well, Jill, then we could, yeah. we were just bad. <laughs> just I know. The instructors make it look easy, 
yeah and to actually do it yourself you think god like babies can do this and they learn how to do it but i've just lost the process and even <laughs> doing those workouts would be more beneficial than doing all the big dramatic exercises yeah like like you said like pilates is a lot of navel radiation exercises so th- these are like the stuff that we should be that babies are doing first before they get any further and they're hard so it's like all of the like single leg stretch double legs double leg stretch is a classic navel radiation where you try to keep your spine still while you take your arms and your legs out in parallels so that's really hard to do really hard to do <laughs> really hard to do correctly so that's a naval rate classic naval radiation exercise and uh yeah so th- those are like the start of it all really the traditional gym exercises like a, a seated bicep curl or a bench press those are so simple compared yeah. to actually moving the body the way it's designed to yeah um, but that's that's why we get injured because when we over strengthen these big kind of external muscles and the, the inner muscles are just chronically weak so that's why injury goes up and one of the things as well like when you start with say the twist pattern and stuff that's like your deep muscles and then as you get to gait which is the last one that's like your external that's all your that's all muscles working together but if you think squat and lunge which are at the end of the primal pattern movement they're the big outside muscles whereas the other ones are training so it's it's kind of cyclical i really really like the primal patterns it's really clever how that's all put together We'll try and get a video of Jill doing the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get one of you doing it. You'll probably do it better than me. I was like in slow <laughs> motion when not. I was trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I looked like a glitch in a computer game or something. I was just like stuck on the floor, like flinching. <laughs> we'll <laughs> definitely have to do that. And the crawling patterns as well. Could, did you do all the crawling patterns when you learned? Because so we, when we did the check training, we had to start with the, the naval radiation stuff. And that's what inchworm is, isn't it? And then we had to do the homogulus pulling, so where you just pull yourself along with your hands. And then we did the contralateral ones where you're crawling, bear crawling and crocodile crawling and stuff. And my God, it's so hard to do. They are really, really hard. If you try crawling now as an adult, it's really tough. You feel it. It sounds strange, but your nervous system gets really tired really quick. (laughs) Doesn't it? Yeah, which sounds like a silly thing. How can your nervous system get tired? But it does. It gets worn out but it does you really feel drained and your nervous yeah. system just just gets fried straight away that's um yeah. it's quite interesting to do actually yeah yeah we should do a little um primal pattern video it would just look like a bloopers reel <laughs> right then are we done yes we are done where can people find you jill what are you up to what am i up to i'm on organicpilates.co.uk what am i up to gosh lots of things I'm, I'm actually editing my new book as we speak. What, right now? Like, no, not right now, <laughs> but I'm going to go and do it soon. So yes, my new book is going to come out soon. It's all about how to decrease hormonal belly fat, but I think I need to get a better title. <laughs> it's a bit more catchy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's what it's about, hormonal um, things that make your fat distribute around your body. Maybe you should have a competition. Yeah, people vote for the name of the book. Yeah, yeah. And then they get get royalties when it becomes a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, obviously it will. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to get it released first. (laughs) And what about you, Dan? Where are you? Cool. I'm still training, doing personal training, and this week I've been doing first aid. So if Mm -hmm. anyone has a trip or a fall or anything, then I know how to phone an ambulance. That's only for the first week until you start forgetting what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <as> well. <laughs> um, I found an, 
well, I heard an interesting fact. Do you know why it gets called first aid? No. So back in the times of World War One and World War Two, first aid. So when you're a first aider, you're the first person on the scene, and then second aid would be the ambulance, and third aid would be the hospital. What about band aid? Well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Live aid. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was probably interesting. the most interesting thing on the course, actually. But <laughs> is that all you've learned from the That's course? That's all I've learned, yeah. So we just stopped calling it second aid and third aid and called it ambulance and hospital instead. But I thought it was <laughs> and, quite cool. And I've got another thing for you, because Sarah, I'm going to say, hello, Sarah, um, who's a chemical translator. You know, in the skincare one, the how to look after your skin naturally episode, I couldn't pronounce a word of a chemical that we should all be getting rid of. So Sarah wrote to me and said that I need to pronounce it. I probably can't do it now. It's pronounced Phillips. So you should have wrote it down phonetically. So you just wrote, yeah, she wrote it down for me phonetically. Right, yeah. Because it's 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 spelt P H T L. So that is weird, isn't it? I was laughing at you Phillips. trying to pronounce it, and then when I wrote the show notes, I had to Google it and everything because I didn't think I. Would... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Phillips, Phillips. There you go. Cool. So thanks, everyone. If you want to listen to more of the podcasts, remember we're on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Jill's website. Just put us into Google and you'll find there us. There we are. Yeah. We've also got a Facebook page that I need to do some more stuff with, Small Business Whole Health. And yeah, well, Sarah, it's now done. Exactly. Yeah. World domination. So please subscribe, leave some comments or like, let us know how you're enjoying it. I do like to hear. I do hear from quite a few people. Do you, Dan? Oh, yeah. I love hearing the feedback and people have asking us questions and giving us topics to talk about. So, yeah, yeah. keep it coming because we would do it anyway if no one listened. But it's even better when people join. <laughs> it's in. nice when people listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's just me and you chatting. <laughs> yeah. So, great. So, thanks, everyone. And we'll see you soon. Bye.